Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan, and I'm absolutely honored and delighted to have Jermaine uh, Odenheimer, MD, um, who I met, Jermaine, I heard your presentation at the program in Psychiatry and the Law at Harvard Medical School, and your presentation was particularly about uh, an approach that was being uh, pushed heavily for those who are suffering from Alzheimer's or who have loved ones suffering from Alzheimer's. And I'm just going to continue reading with your bio and then we'll get into it. You are a geriatric neurologist, professor emeritus at Oklahoma University College of Medicine. Is that correct? Oh, you? That's correct. Great. Yep. Your career has been devoted to people with dementia and their caregivers. And you yourself became a caregiver for your mother who had dementia. Uh, you were recruited to Oklahoma University College of Medicine to develop a geriatric curriculum for medical students and focused your teaching on recognizing and caring for people with cognitive impairments. So you've required all your medical schools to participate in Alzheimer's support groups as part of their training. Yeah, it was all fourth-year medical students. Fourth-year, right. So uh, resident, uh, residents, is that the no, correct no. term? No, no, fourth-year medical students. Fourth, forgive right. me for the They haven't graduated. This is their last year of uh, medical school. Got it. But then you retired, air quotes, in 2017 from the bureaucracy of medicine, you write. But yes. you've maintained your license and continue to stay very engaged as an advocate for those suffering with dementia and their caregivers. So I want to publicly thank you for your <laughs> service. As, as we all know, America is aging. You know, the baby boomers are like swelling and swelling yeah. and swelling. And I'm I, part of it. <laughs> myself, I'm turning 68 uh, shortly. I'm ahead and, of you. I, and, I just turned 69. Oh, okay. So you're a little bit <laughs> older than me. But the point is, is that it is a reality that, that so many people are suffering from cognitive impairments. Right. And I'm going to toss the ball to you and ask you to share with our listeners some of the essentials that you want uh, to give you know, good consumer advice to for this topic. So um, instead of just giving advice, I thought I would walk through how I found out about this. Because Great. otherwise, it just sounds like a doctor dissing another group or something. And uh, I don't want that to be the I the love outcome. storytelling. And I think this is a way that people can better uh, understand and appreciate your contribution. So please. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, in 2019, um, I saw an ad on Facebook for a, a free dinner talk focusing on uh, new treatments for Alzheimer's disease. So I signed up, and um, I think it was the, the day of the talk, they called me, um, and they said they were just calling to see if I was qualified to attend this talk. Uh -huh. Which I thought was a strange, a little strange, but I yes, said, very I said, strange. This is this is my area of specialty, and if you have some new treatments for Alzheimer's, I need to know about it. Right. And they said, Oh no, you're not qualified. 
Um, and I later found out that they didn't qualify anybody from the Alzheimer's Association either, which is uh, really telling, I think. Yep. So um, I said, well, who who is who's qualified? And they said, well, people with the disease. Mm. People who have cognitive impairments already? Right. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so I thought, oh, boy, that doesn't sound good. Right. And so I called up my friend, Gina, and I said, hey, Gina, how would you like to pretend you have Alzheimer's disease? And she goes, okay. <laughs> so I went over to her house and coached her and gave her the number of the, the, of the people who were putting this on. And she told them that she was worried about her memory and um, her friends had said they were worried about her. And so, and she'd heard about this dinner. And mm -hmm. um, they said, well, we just have one uh, question to ask you. And uh, she said, okay. And she, they asked, they said, um, how committed are you to reversing this disease? And she hadn't been diagnosed with anything, but right. that was the question. Um, and she goes, well, 100%. And they said, you're qualified. And so uh, they asked how she was going to get to the dinner. Mm -hmm. And I uh, and she said, well, I'm still driving. I can drive myself. And they go, no, no, no. You need, you need a caregiver to come with you who can help you with financial decisions. Uh-huh. And um, so um, that turned out to be me. Um, Brilliant. <laughs> but I had to go in disguise because yep. I've given lots of community talks and I was afraid I'd be outed at this um, gathering um, and I didn't I and I'd already been uninvited so I had to go incognito. I, I gotta interrupt and just comment I I'm the same way, like people know that I'm a cult expert. So if I want to go check out a cult meeting or something, I have to disguise ah, myself, uh -huh. et cetera. So this yeah. is what you have to do, what you have to do. I know. And I, so, and um, people have asked me to like post it, but I'm thinking I might need it again. <laughs> anyway, so I went to this session and there were about 50 people in the mm -hmm. room. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew three of them, mm. uh, and uh, I I kept my head down. I was wearing a wig, and I didn't say a word because they might recognize my voice. Mm -hmm. And I just sat there and I took detailed notes at this meeting. And the guy who gave the talk was very good. He was very slick. Um, and he he knew how to draw the people in. So the, the room was full of people with various kinds of dementia and their caregivers for the most part, I think. Mm -hmm. So um, he, he said things like um, uh, I, that Alzheimer's is the biggest failure of American medicine, mm -hmm. which I don't argue with. I think he's probably right. And he said um, that, uh, that the medical community can't make a definitive diagnosis. They can't cure it. They don't spend time with you. They, um, you can't get in to see specialists. And if you do, they 
they dismiss you quickly. Um, all that's true. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he was, it, you know, people are mad. I don't blame them. They're sure. mad that they're not getting what they need from the medical community. And so they are ripe for the pickings for a charlatan. Yeah. So I just want to underscore, if you don't mind me saying this, but in the forensic world of undue influence, Alan Shefflin, who's a law professor emeritus, has a social influence model that analyzes the influencee and the influencer or the predator or the predatory organization. And part of the formula is the susceptibility of the influencee if they're undergoing strife, medical problems, uh, divorce, loss of job, whatever. And then the authority figure that is making these claims with certainty. And then, of course, I have my bite model. But there is a formula that people can know about undue influence. And walking into a situation like that I guess it's the caregivers that are have the burden of really doing a lot of consumer research ahead of time before right. they and, even bring anyone to the room like that. Right. And one of the things that made this uh, sort of unique, because I know there's lots of people uh, out there taking advantage of people who are desperate, who have bad diseases, and the medical field doesn't have good answers for them. But what was different about this was that his talk was so high level and so accurate and and up to date in terms of Alzheimer's. Mm. And the guy who was talking was a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm thinking, there's no way he wrote this talk. And the beautiful slides, very professional. Clearly, he'd been trained. And um, so anyway, so I- So can I, I, can I interrupt one more yes, time? Uh-huh. So you said that, that you saw an ad on Facebook yes. and that there was a local dinner in Oklahoma. So I'm assuming there yes. are these talks and these dinners around the whole country. And yes. this was just one of many people trained. Yes. In fact, a- after, after I left the dinner, Mm. Uh, I ha- still have to tell you about the dinner, but oh, after I'm I sorry, left, please. That's continue. right. That's right. But a- after I left the dinner, I went on Facebook and I found 200 other um, talks, exactly the same ad, all uh-huh. over the country. So mm-hmm. yes, and that was just in that window. Yep. So um, so anyway, um, so he he gave this very uh, talk in, in impressive talk. Uh, no time for questions. And he, uh, the, the, the two things that were most relevant were at the end of his talk, he said, in order to see me, uh, it usually costs $295 mm-hmm. for the initial visit. But if you sign up tonight, it's only $95. Mm. So, you know, the, who, what have you got to lose? It's a right? bargain. It's a bargain. But a chiropractor knowing about uh, Alzheimer's? Exactly. Huh? Uh, that, huh? that was already kind of hard to imagine. And I have a feeling, but I don't know this for sure, that a lot of these guys out there and girls are chiropractors or alternative medicine practitioners. But not all of them. Some of them mm-hmm. are MDs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, and the, and the other thing he said 
was we have an 85% success rate. And he walked out of the room immediately and never came back. And my friend said, 85% success rate for what? And I said, well, he wants you to think it's for curing Alzheimer's disease. But, um, but it's for getting people to sign up for a scam is what it is. And, and he had his people going around signing everybody up. Mm. And um, so I was furious. I was so beside myself because they're just preying on these desperate people. Well, I have to comment that any talk that doesn't have questions and answers, yeah, that's exactly. really suspicious also. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen that before uh, with other things that people have made claims that they they can uh, cure or treat something and then they'll walk out of the room. I've mm. seen it before. So, wow. um uh, so it was not a tact I was unfamiliar with, but I mm-hmm. I was hoping I'd get to ask some questions, um, right? But but I didn't. So, um, and he and he talked about how how different his practice was. How he spends time. They can get these all these tests done that that they send to the Netherlands for evaluation to make a definitive diagnosis of Alzheimer's. Uh, it seems odd to me that he'd have to send these tests to the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, and 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 he said, and he he said we take insurance, but he lied about that because I went and looked, and he's he doesn't take he doesn't take insurance because the tests that he gets are not covered by insurance. Right. And they're very expensive. So uh, anyway, so my first task was to, um, uh, I alerted the attorney general in Oklahoma, and his response was, well, we we don't deal with this. Just report him to his board, the chiropractor board, which I did. And they contacted me and said they would investigate, and then I never heard anything else. But uh, the other thing, and I started to make, I filed a report with the Federal Trade Commission, um, and uh, and also, uh, a lot, I've reached out to a lot of people. I'll, I'll mention a few of them. But uh, but I was really determined to figure out who wrote that talk because yep. uh, I knew it wasn't this guy. Yep. And so I was searching uh, on the internet, and I found a medical grand rounds being given by a physician at Cleveland Clinic. Mm-hmm. And the talk was essentially the same, except at a higher level, because he was talking to medical people. Yep. Um, and I went, oh, my God, this is the talk. This is the guy who wrote it. Mm. And so I started to investigate him. And I found out that he had been the head of the Alzheimer's Center at UCLA. Hmm. So I called a contact of mine at UCLA, who's high up in the echelon, and I said, what is going on? Who is this guy, and how is he getting away with this? Right. I, so I, I also knew the former, former head of the Alzheimer's Center at UCLA. Um, actually, I met him in Boston at, uh, mm. at the, at, um, it was with Bo- at Boston University, where he was chief resident 
in mm. neurology at the time. So, and we kept in touch. Great. So that's like 30, 40 years ago, maybe 40 yep. years ago. Yeah, like networks that. matter. Yep. So anyway, uh, I call, contacted him. I go, Jeff, what's going on? Who is this guy? And he goes, oh, it grieves me so. And he said, before I before he had left uh, the Alzheimer's Center at UCLA, he had brought in $10 million. And apparently, that money didn't get used appropriately. So I said, well, why isn't anybody stopping him? And he said, nobody wants to get sued. And I'm, mm. I said, well, I'm not worried about it. So I'm going to, I'm keep, I'm going to keep on going. He said, well, good luck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I, so I reported, uh, to, uh, AARP, to the Alzheimer's Association, the FBI, um, and I actually, and uh, uh, New York Times, um, a a journal. I think it's an online journal. Stat. Are you familiar with Stat? It's in no. it's in Boston, uh -huh. and they look at malpractice uh, kinds of issues. Mm. Actually, and they had said they would take this on, and then COVID hit, mm. and everything everything shut down. And mm -hmm. um, so when COVID seemed to be backing off, I reached out to the reporter who was going to do the investigation and she had died of cancer. Nice. And so I, I haven't reached back out to stat. Um, but I've been giving talks. I talk to Alzheimer's support groups all the time and warn them. Mm -hmm. I, I gave a talk uh, a week ago or two weeks ago now to the Oklahoma state conference on aging about this uh, event, uh, this scam. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, one of the key things, well, one of the key things was how are they making their money? And I, I'm not entirely sure, mm -hmm. but um, I found out that um, the guy who started this, his name is Dale Bredesen. Mm -hmm. um, he He's very popular. He's on, he's on talk shows all the time. He's on Facebook all the time. Um, he has a best-selling book on New York Times, New York mm -hmm. Times best-selling book, and it's called The End of Alzheimer's Disease. So I I went to Amazon. I, I didn't really want to give him my money, but I thought I really need to see this book. Yeah. So I bought it, but I also read reviews on Amazon. So it's got a very high rating. Mm -hmm. I think there were, when I last looked, there were like over 3,000 reviews. Mm. And um, and I looked at the positive reviews, and I didn't look at all of them, but I looked at a bunch, and they all basically said, thank God there's finally hope. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find any that said, uh, we've tried his program and it worked. I, mm -hmm. If it was in there, I, I missed it. Mm -hmm. um, he, he has published papers on his so-called research about his protocol. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I got those papers and read them. And they're, um, they're in a journal called Aging. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought it was, and he claims it's peer reviewed, but I'm a, I do a lot of peer review for yeah. journals. Yeah. And when I read his, his articles, I went, well, this would have never gotten through peer review that he didn't characterize the patients. 
he didn't, I mean, it was so unbelievably um, poorly done that I couldn't imagine a true uh, peer-reviewed journal publishing it. And since then, I've heard about people who pay these journals to publish that, their- That's what I was going to say. There are these vanity journals that just want your money and right. they'll publish it, but it has no scientific validity or right. respect amongst people who actually care about right. science. It's right. something that I learned about at Papaddle, actually, is because I kept getting emails from, please submit you know, your article. And then yeah. I find out, and it's like, this is not a real journal that's right. respected. Yeah. So, and I thought it was, I mean, I'd heard of it before, um, and I I just assumed it was uh, a, you know, a peer-reviewed journal. A peer-reviewed journal. Right. Um, but I don't know who 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 let those in, but they were bad. Mm -hmm. So anyway, in his articles that he published, he claims that he had a 90% success rate of curing. Oh, it went Alzheimer's. up from 85%. Well, I guess. Uh, um, that's a joke. The, the, Sorry. Yeah. The, the chiropractor said 85%, but right. I mean, in his first paper was 10 patients and nine mm -hmm. of them, he said, got better. Uh -huh. But, you know, when I was reading them and going, they could have been over-medicated. They could have, there were all kinds of things that could have explained why they got better, if indeed they even did. Right. Um, so anyway, then I went on uh, the, and looked at the negative reviews on Amazon. And they were, there were some really interesting ones. And um, one of them said, you have to take 80 pills a day for at least a year before you'll see any benefit. 80 um, pills a day? 80 pills, yes. Wow. Um, and as far as I can tell, they're all supplements, which I think is one of the ways they make their money. Um, which the FDA does not regulate. Right. But um, uh, I'll come back to that in a second. Um, okay. But one of them said that they spent $30,000 to get into this protocol and they stuck with it for a year, and they knew the other other people who were in it, and none of them got any improvement. They just lost their money. Wow. And um, and then uh, I investigated people who, who support Bredesen, and one of those people, uh, when I went and looked up his criminal background <laughs> check, um, I found out that he had been cited by the FDA and the uh, Federal Trade Commission numerous times since the 90s for um, misrepresenting uh, his uh, supplements and his mm. diets. Mm. And I thought, and he's he's on board with this. So I suspect he maybe the, I don't know, I'd love to know. I wish somebody would investigate it uh, so far. I haven't found that person, but um, uh, I suspect that the the two ways they're making money, besides him selling his book, is they run these very expensive tests, and uh, and they continue to run them. I've now talked to several people who've tried out the protocol, mm -hmm. which I hadn't done at the time uh, I talked to you guys. In fact, mm -hmm. I talked to somebody uh, two nights ago who I didn't know they were in that protocol. I was just telling her the story and she went, oh, 
and she and she told me that so far they've spent about thirty thousand dollars, and um and they were and they kept getting asked to pay more and more and more for more tests and um and she finally said you know I'm not comfortable with this and so I I think she had already decided that she was not going to continue right but she had uh, worked done it for about a year. And she said that she hadn't seen any benefit. Right. Um, so it it was like unbelievable that I just was talking to a, somebody I had just met right. at a at a small gathering, and she turned out to be one of the people who'd been in. Yeah, this I have protocol. to imagine there are so many more people who right. kind of you know blame themselves. Well, it worked for ninety percent, but it just right. didn't work for me. I'm in the ten percent. Right. But nobody has access to the big data no. that could could show it. Right. But you're you're a, you're a geriatric geriatric neurologist. Your specialty is dementia. So, like, what what do you have to say about anyone who claims to have a cure to Alzheimer's? Well, I mean, even if there's legitimate claims, mm -hmm. I don't believe it until it's replicated and it's in peer review, um, you know, by more than one uh, group. Right. Um, the aluminum theory of Alzheimer's was um, first uh, proposed by a guy named Crapper. Mm. And, um, and, and uh, you probably know and may remember how people got rid of everything that had aluminum in it, their aluminum pots and their... Antiperspirants, right? Um, so I you mean the aluminum theory? Does that have any causality with Alzheimer's? Uh, it does not appear to. Yeah, but the but the theory still it's still alive. Anyway, mm -hmm. so I you know I was I thought well you know it's worth paying attention you know because if it's true we need to do something about it. Right. And then I saw a study that replicated his work. Mm. And I went, okay, well, now we have replication, so maybe there is something to it. So it was the same guy, but he came out with a different name. So um, so even, even what may turn out to be legitimate treatments, I'm skeptical of until I've seen more information. So my friends are always telling me about the latest potential treatments or diagnostic techniques. And I mean, when I first got into this field, I got all excited about that. Sure. You know, but then as I've been at this for over 30 years, I have uh, realized that most of those things don't pan out. Mm -hmm. And so I don't get too excited about it. Um, I would love to see cures my mother, as you said, my mother had Alzheimer's. I'm, I'm, I work with uh, Alzheimer's patients and caregivers um, every week, mm. even though I'm so-called retired. I, I zoom in on Alzheimer's support groups. Yeah, and um, and there, I mean, I it's just heartbreaking what they're going through. So, for our lay audience that's listening to this, like what? Can you give us a brief overview of what is Alzheimer's, what is dementia, what's the difference? Okay. It's just some okay, basics. Okay, so 
Yeah. How that, to recognize so, it maybe if, if well, you have a loved one? Well, first of all, everybody forgets stuff. And so I, I've given a lot of talks to the community called Memory Loss, When to Worry. And I usually start off by asking people, well, how many people have lost your car keys or your glasses or your hearing aids? Or, <laughs> I'm and laughing. <laughs> and, all, and everybody's hands go up. And I right. said, how many people have gone to introduce uh, somebody to your best friend and you can't think of their name? Mm -hmm. Or... Um, or how many people have gotten disoriented uh, right. in, a, in a in a new location? And, you know, basically everybody's hand goes up. Yep. I mean, I've said, how many people have lost your car in the parking lot? You know, yep. a lot of people. So anyway, I say, okay. So those are common. That's not Alzheimer's. Right. If you can't recognize your car because uh, unless you've rented it, <laughs> which right. I've had that happen. But, um, you know, if you can't recognize your car, um, that might be worrisome. If you can't figure out how to put the key in the lock or if you can't figure out whether to go forward or backward, that's worrisome. I mean, mm. so there is a transition period where people can be maybe still normal, but they've done a couple things that are worrisome. And it, it, you really need to keep an eye on them, right? And, and because some people just had a bad day, they were sleep deprived, or they were taking cold medicine, or things like that. They, that's very important. Where sleep disturbances will mm -hmm. mess up memory and concentration, right? right. And anxiety and depression. Yeah. yeah, all those things can can uh, affect your ability to remember. Right. Um, and other things like hearing. I, I had a patient who the family was saying, you know, he doesn't remember anything we tell him. And he had terrible hearing loss. And we got him hearing aids. And he started to remember what they told him. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I have to add, if you don't mind, I just had an audiology exam. And because my wife and I were like, huh, huh? And I'm like... <laughs> Maybe you should get your ears. And she's like, no, I don't need any. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. And it turned out that I have two high frequencies in my left ear that are missing. But everything with voice is normal and everything. Yeah. But I was actually going for musician's earplugs, which are things if you listen to loud music concerts, which mm -hmm. I want to get back to listening. Yeah. Uh, it protects your hearing. But they've noticed that people with hearing problems are more paranoid also. Right. Right? And so there are all yes. kinds of dimensions. So if, right. if you have an right. elderly person and they haven't had a hearing test, definitely go for that yeah. one. And, and, and medications are notorious for affecting your ability to think clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to tell you another story. Please. Um, this is a woman who she was um, 67 when I saw her, and she yep. had been she'd been declining uh, over about three years. Mm -hmm. Memory couldn't do handle her checkbook, was making some bad decisions, and uh, she'd been to lots of doctors, including neurologists and geriatricians, and they all everybody labeled her as Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And so her son brought her in to see me for sort of a final word before they placed her in a nursing home. Yep. 
And um, I evaluated her and I looked at her medications and I said, you know, I can't tell you what kind of dementia she has until we get her off of some of these drugs. Mm. And uh, she was uh, she was diagnosed as bipolar and was on a lot of psych medications, a lot. And so um, I contacted her psychiatrist and the psychiatrist said, no, she needs all her meds. Mm. So we found another psychiatrist. It's so, this is a great story, so important. And I've had that experience myself where people said, you know, uh, we think that he may be in a cult. What do you think? And I'm like, I can't tell until he's off his medications because he's mm -hmm, like so mm -hmm. drugged up. Right. And right. we so literally went to, you know, his psychiatrist who doubled down. Nope, our diagnosis is correct. And we literally needed to switch hospitals, get him into an inpatient unit where we could titrate him off of the medication safely. And yeah. it turned out he had been in a cult and he didn't have any of it. He wasn't schizoaffective or schizophrenic or borderline at all. Yeah. We couldn't tell until he got off the medications. Well, so the psychiatrist that I worked with helped get her off of most of her medications. Yep. And I saw her three months later, and she was completely normal. She had no evidence of dementia. Great at all. story. And I thought, I thought, oh my, I, I thought maybe she's got early dementia and she was just extra sensitive to the medications. Mm -hmm. But I followed her for uh, a year and she never developed dementia. Mm. She ended up moving into, into she became, a, she lived on her own. She was uh, interviewed by CNN because mm. of her story yeah. and by the local newspaper a couple of times. And she was going around giving talks about, get off of all your medications. I'm going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, be careful <laughs> that's, about that's that. A, that was not exactly what I had in mind. But right. she didn't have any dementia. Mm -hmm. And um, she, I, I, I talked to her son um, a few years back because I wanted to present her at a psychiatry grand rounds, mm -hmm. and I knew she would come. And he told me she had died. Uh, oh. She died of cancer, and mm -hmm. but he said she died on her own terms, and she was independent the whole time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, mm -hmm. uh, so so medications. Um, I, I have yeah. a ton of these stories actually, but. I won't go into all of them, but back to your question about dementia. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people will say things like, well, my, my, my father doesn't have Alzheimer's. He just has dementia. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, uh, dementia is just a generic term for people who have cognitive decline with certain characteristics. Um, the DSM Diagnostic and Statistical Manual lays right. out sort of the characteristics, although they've really changed with DSM-5 mm. in how they look at it. Mm -hmm. But uh, um, so, in fact, DSM-5, they don't want you to use the word dementia because it's misused so much. Interesting. But um, but anyway, but everybody does. So they want does. to talk about his cognitive decline? Yes. They want mm -hmm. to talk about his cognitive decline and then characterize it. So there is Alzheimer's disease, but not Alzheimer's dementia. 
So they, they're really pushing, but I, I don't know that they're going to succeed because it's so entrenched. Mm. So, so for now, at least, dementia is, a, is an umbrella term. It's like saying, I own a car or I own a Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. You know, you have dementia. What kind of dementia? Well, it could be Alzheimer's or it could be something else. So Alzheimer's, uh, and, and there's, there's a weird caveat to that too, but in general, Alzheimer's disease, um, you have to have dementia in order to be considered having the disease. At least that's, that's how it's used largely. But there's a big push now, which really complicates things, to identify the um, the pathology of Alzheimer's uh, in the brain through scans, uh, special scans that can uh, identify um, the accumulation of proteins and, and amyloid in the brain. Yep, amyloids. That's what right. I wanted to ask you to well, talk about. Well, amyloid and tau. So, oh boy, that's another story. Ugh. Okay. Anyway, um, so amyloid. So they they can now detect amyloid and tau in the brain, which are characteristic of the pathology in Alzheimer's. But people who have those things may not have any dementia. They may right. be cognitively normal, and so. I worry about this trend to making a diagnosis of a disease without symptoms. Right. But there is there is a movement in that direction and I I don't I don't agree with that. I, it makes me very nervous. And I've seen people who were told they were they had Alzheimer's disease based on PET scans. Wow. And they didn't. Hmm. I've I've known at least two people well who were told they were diagnosed by PET scans. They don't have Alzheimer's disease. One of them was um, hi- was um, histrionic or whatever you whatever the PC term is. Mm-hmm. Um, but she her mother had Alzheimer's and she feared it so much she developed all the symptoms. It was fascinating. Mm-hmm. And she saw a neurologist who did a PET scan and said she had Alzheimer's disease and she didn't. Wow. And uh, so anyway, that's a whole other story. The amyloid story is another amazing story. Mm. So um, Alzheimer's described um, the brain of a 54-year-old woman in 1906 and published in 1907 uh, with the pathology that he found. And he found these accumulations of amyloid, which he called plaques, and tau, which he called tangles. Mm-hmm. neurofibrillary tangles. And so basically the pathology, the primary pathology, and it's still this way largely, is mm-hmm. that in order to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, you have to have accumulation of amyloid and tau and and, uh, and neurofibrillary tangles. Right. So for reasons I'm not entirely sure, amyloid became the flavor of the day. Mm-hmm. And so for the last 40 years, the NIH and almost all the research that's been looking for treatments has looked at getting rid of amyloid, but none of those treatments have worked. Hmm. And there's been very little research relatively on the neurofibrillary tangles. Hmm. Now, the... It, the, I, when I say it hasn't worked, 
they are able to get rid of the amyloid. Right. But they don't get rid of the dementia. Got it. So so the so the the a it's competing not causal in other words. It's not it, that's the competing theory is it's not causal. It may be a response to the Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's growing interest in tau because there's a feeling that tau may be the cause, and mm-hmm. I, we still don't know that. Uh, but that but that research was held back for forty years because they would not fund anything but the amyloid research. Oh, well, it's it's sad, um, but you know I'm I'm an idealist and I want to make the world a better place, and I always like to ask my my esteemed guests who are experts to if they had access to resources if they had the white house or you know major agency funding like what needs to happen that it, yeah. what needs to be done well definitely i think uh the the tau theory um uh of alzheimer's as a cause is something that needs to be pursued more rigorously. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a, um, a, a dementia um, conference in Italy um, a few years back, mm-hmm. and there were a bunch of basic researchers there who were looking at the different potential causes. And I asked them, I said, so is it amyloid or is it tau? And one of them said, or something else. So, <laughs> you know, it, we're we we've it's not a complex come system. Very... It could be multiple things that are interacting, well, and that's actually part of the problem. I think you know Alzheimer's has to be more than one disease, mm-hmm. and the reason for that is that different gen- genes are associated with it. So I don't see how it could be the same disease if it's a different gene that's causing it. So that's there's a half a, a dozen point. different genes that are known to be associated with um, Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the young onset Alzheimer's, if you have those genes, um, then you will almost certainly get the disease. It's sort of like a Huntington's disease. It's, a, mm. it's an autosomal dominant gene. But then there's another, uh, what's called an allele, and that is uh, what they call APOE4. And so there is an association between uh, APOE4 and the occurrence of Alzheimer's disease in white people, hmm. not in non-white people, but in white people. But you can so you get you get an APOE you get APOE from each parent, and mm-hmm. there's APOE two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. So you can have any combination two, two, three, 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 four. You know. And it turns out that people with APOE4 from both parents have a, it, a more of a risk. But it doesn't mean they're going to get the disease. That's so, so interesting. And, and, and some of the best, most interesting studies are twin studies, identical twin studies, right. where one will get the disease and the other one may get the disease, but maybe as uh, the longest I've seen was 14 years different. Wow. So, you know, if it's 14 years different, there's a pretty good chance they're going to die of something else. Yeah. So even identical twins don't always get the disease at the same time. 
It's so fascinating. There's, there's clearly more than the g- genetics. There's got to be other things. And we know that things that put us at risk are things like head injury. Right. And, um, and another growing theory that I think probably has utility is inflammation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, there's a, a nun study. Are you familiar with the nun study? No, I'm not. Please oh, my share. God. Okay. This is a great study. So this is out of uh, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And they got a, um, a whole group of nuns to agree that they would go through physiologic and cognitive evaluations throughout their life and blood work. And then upon their death, they agreed to give their brains to, um, to neuropathologists. So these are actual nuns that agreed to be uh, subjects for science, yes. basically. Yes. Great. Yes. Love that yes. story. Go it's on. A, and, and I mean, there's some amazing things that have come out of that. Um, one of them is that they looked at um, the essays that these women wrote when they were teenagers to get into the nunnery, you know, uh-huh. why I want to be a nun or whatever they were writing. Yep. And they found that the level of uh, linguistic complexity in the 18-year-old letters was associated with the people who developed the disease. So this this sort of is a spooky thing that there's there the groundwork may be laid very young. Um, That's paradoxical. I would have thought if they were more complex thinkers younger, that they might have more immunity to the. Oh yeah, that's what it. That's what they ah. found. They oh, found that when it was reduced linguistic complexity, they were at higher risk for. Well, developing. that makes okay. I right. misunderstood you. Right. Right. Yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of one, use it or lose it. Well, you know, or, or or are we programmed? You know, mm-hmm. who knows. I mean, we don't know if increasing, you know, because there's other associations like higher education it reduces your risk. But does that mean your education protects you or that you were able to get your education because you were your right. brain was working? Right. It so also could be we, higher levels of exercise or diet might play a role. Right. Well. And there are, there are things that like exercise and diet that that do seem to offer some protection and so um, it turns out that what's good for the heart is good for the brain. Oh, so, that's interesting. Say more about that, please. Okay. So, and this goes back to the nun study. So the other thing they found was that when these nuns died and they had their brains looked at, they, they would compare the brains and they'd say, well, both these nuns have the same amount of pathology, but one of them had dementia and one of them didn't. Mm-hmm. And they said, what's the difference? And what they found was that the difference was that people who had dementia with the, with the same amount of pathology as the one that didn't had had some strokes. Uh-huh. And so there's a very strong link between vascular disease and dementia and, and Alzheimer's disease. So there's vascular disease that can cause dementia and there's vascular disease, cerebrovascular disease, that can tr- can cause a stroke, which may trigger dementia. 
fascinating. And that's so that's another thing out of the nun study. Amazing work. And so and if you look at the risk factors for Alzheimer's disease, many of them are high blood pressure, diabetes, um, heart disease, uh, high cholesterol, obesity. Those are all risk factors for Alzheimer's disease, and they're all risk factors for cardiac disease. Oh, this is fascinating. This is so helpful. Um, we're we're going to wrap up in a few more minutes, but I would like to ask you to uh, offer some reputable support groups or any good books that you might recommend. And for those who are suffering with a loved one who has dementia or Alzheimer's, I would assume you would say get a neurological examination from someone trained to diagnose this. Okay. And that raises another issue, which is that there are very few people trained in this because um, you, you can't you can't work for somebody. So I'll give you an example. I was fired uh, from one of my jobs for spending too much time with patients. In another job, I was told that I was going to have to start paying to see patients because they weren't making money on me. And I said, I I can't do justice to these patients without spending time. Mm-hmm. And that's that's why I've gotten out. And that's why a lot of people who have had an interest in taking care of people with dementia are getting out of the field. So um, the neurology programs are not really doing a very good job overall in training neurologists to wow. take care of dementia. So it's it's a crisis situation actually the whole you know managed healthcare where people have you know psychiatrists and other top specialists get 15 minutes or less for a client when it requires a longer evaluation right. to do a, a proper job plus it's always two it's a, a minimum of two people you're dealing with you're dealing with a caregiver right and you're dealing with a patient and they both ha- they both need help and there's, and you don't get paid for taking care of the caregiver. But if you don't take care of the caregiver, they can't take care of their loved one. That's another point to parallel with, with our work, because in my world, I won't do an intervention with someone in a cult unless I work with the family and friends first so that they understand what they're dealing with because they're their support system you know, when the person exits right, and they can make things worse very easily if they don't understand what, what the problem was and, and care. Right. And, and that's why I don't take insurance and I only able to either do pro bono completely cases or charge a lot of money to people who can afford to help. And that's right. sad. Yep. It's very what I sad. do now, because I'm still doing a lot of sort of curbside consultation. I don't take money, um, but I do work with some nonprofits. And I say, if you want to pay me, put the money toward these nonprofits. And that's- Oh, bless you. That's a wonderful thing. So um, so any organizations that um, you do okay, think yes. are really well, legit? I mean, Alzheimer's Association has had 
the primary role of helping caregivers. Um, I, I'm concerned about, (laughs) there's another story there. I'm concerned about their motivations as I think happens with many large nonprofits that when they start out, their intentions are very noble. Right. And as they grow, their focus becomes on fundraising. Yeah, keeping themselves afloat and keeping their salaries. And and so the Alzheimer's Association is still an important contact point. Yeah. Um, And they support support groups, which are extremely important for Mm -hmm. people. It's Mm -hmm. their lifeline. We... um, the, the literature suggests that one out of three caregivers dies before the patient wow. because of the stress and not taking care of themselves. Mm. And, and if they go into support groups, um, I mean, uh, they, they survive. It's their lifeline. Right. So, so the Alzheimer's Association is very helpful in terms of getting you in support groups. Mm-hmm. So there may be still some... Alzheimer's support, or not support groups, but Alzheimer's um, organizations, they're all over the country. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and some of them may be uh, doing a, a better job of providing the counseling that people need. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm afraid that they've, they have de-emphasized the services that they used to provide. Yeah, that's a shame. I'm curious if there are other countries that have best practices because they have medicine that has one payer. Uh, you know, the government runs the whole program, so they have an investment to to minimize yeah. the expenses over um, a lifespan. I I don't know the answer to that. That would be interesting. If uh, I haven't seen anything that suggests that any one country is better than another. Uh, in terms of okay. this disease. That's um, fair. I figured I'd ask that question. Another quick question I would like to ask you is I'm told that as people get elderly and infirm, that they survive and have much better quality of life if they're in their apartment or in their home versus being moved to some care facility. Is there anything you can yeah. comment on about that? Yeah, it's it's not a one size fits all. Um, if you have a, a good support system in your home, mm-hmm. then staying in the home may be an option. Mm-hmm. But as you become more infirmed, unless you have an adequate support system, right, it doesn't work. And you can hire people, right, and that's an option. And um, the other thing is that the uh, facilities, for the most part, are awful. Yeah. And they're, you know, you toilet when they're ready for you to toilet, not when mm. you're ready to toilet. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's an institution. And it's, right. it's um, institutions are not conducive to good quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yet that's what we're doing. We're institutionalizing a lot of these people. So some of them have done a good job and they socialize and they have activities, but those are not the most common. The most yeah, they're common, probably the expensive ones, frankly. Well, I'll tell you what, even the expensive ones aren't necessarily good because I was an expert witness against the best one in our town and uh, they were fined $15 million because they were, they were not training their people. They were not supervising their people. And it was considered the best 
in our community. So um, the other thing is that if you do place somebody in a facility, you have to be their advocate. You cannot rely on them to take care of your loved one unless they know that you're going to be there. So interesting and so important. So you just commented that you do expert witness work. So are you still open to doing that? Um, if anyone hears this, for example. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I might do it if it's something that is that I feel like I bring something unique to the table. But I'm not looking for it. Right. I, I'm happy. I do all, all kinds of stuff, art mm-hmm. and and music and gardening, and I, I'm. You know, if somebody wants me, they're going to have to pay a lot of money because okay. I don't really want to do it. Well, so I understand, yeah. or unless there's a unique case that uh, tintillates your intellectual curiosity and your right. and your love of people. So I want to thank you so much, and I'm sorry it took so long for us to schedule this. And I'm hoping that if you're listening to this podcast uh, and you have influence capabilities to try to see to it that um, consumers are not, uh, I mean, people are, are being ripped off by by poor consumer awareness. Uh, or if you're a, a lawyer, for example, uh, you might offer pro bono services for people who are whistleblowers. Um, because that's how a lot of bad actors get away with things is they just throw their money around, sue, sue the whistleblower, and then there's a gag order. Or it may, there might be a settlement, but then there's a gag order and more abuse happens, which is a tragedy. It is. It is. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Odenheimer. I wish you a long life and continued success. And, and I hope to, to you be in as touch. Well. All right. Thank you Sounds so much. Good. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast by Nasser Malik. To read in-depth articles about influence, both positive and negative, visit my website at freedomofmind.com. On Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. I also have a a three-and-a-half-hour online course titled Understanding Cults, The Basics, which can be found on my website. If you're a former cult member, I congratulate you on your bravery, invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT, and join our online community at igotout.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, love is stronger than mind control.